announcements to hit while the kids are making their way out to class. VBS is a week from tomorrow it starts. So if uh, you are going to have your kids be a part of that and you haven't yet filled out the form, uh, that would be a nice thing for you to do today. We just like to make sure all the kids, we've got t-shirts for everybody and uh, that we're, we're prepared for how many are going to come. Uh, also, if you are willing to help, there's still uh, lots of help that we need. If you're like wondering what that might look like, Janet or Mitchell, you could talk to either one of them and they will have more information for you. Jam Camp is also coming and uh, signups are ongoing for that. They're online. Jam means Jesus and me, or Jesus Arts and Music, sorry. J that's what it meant when I was a kid, Jesus and me. Now it's Jesus Arts and Music. And so the kids learn all kinds of great things. Uh, if money would be the thing that would keep you from sending your child to jam camp, do not let that be the thing that stops you from sending your kids. We have scholarships available, and we don't want anybody to miss out because of money. Uh, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, wow, I would sponsor a kid with a scholarship to go to jam camp, we also have those available, in case you were wondering. And it's $200 to send a kid to jam camp. You can sponsor a whole scholarship, half a scholarship, or I mean, anything really, 10 scholarships, whatever you want to do, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll let you do that. Uh, Father's Day is coming next week, and so I need uh, three pictures of our guys for the slideshow during the service. Three pictures of our guys, either with their kids or their dads or any combination thereof, and I need them by Friday at 9, and uh, then there's going to be a potluck next Sunday, Father's Day potluck after the noon service, about 1 p.m. We will be uh, cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. We'll provide those, and you guys bring sides and desserts, and we will celebrate the guys at Riverside. So, part 42 of this lesson series, looking at the story of the Bible. And today, we look at the story of the very first Christian who had to give his life for his faith. And you know, Jesus warned them before he left that this was going to happen, but when it actually starts happening is when it starts really getting real. And so I called today's lesson, how do you handle really tough days? Because it turns out there's preparation that we can and should be doing for the, when those really tough days come. Now, your really tough days and Stephen's really tough day are probably going to be a little bit different. Doesn't mean, though, that your tough days aren't tough. And it doesn't mean that it is impossible that you will experience exactly this, well, at least something similar to what Stephen experienced. As a matter of fact, if I was giving this lesson right now in the Middle East, in Syria and Iraq, it would be a very relevant message to the Christians that are there, many who have watched their loved ones die in just the last few years. So, uh, when we left off last week, the church, the, the, the brand new church had grown to, scholars believe, somewhere around 16,000 people. And Stephen was one of the Jews who had come to Jerusalem for Pentecost to celebrate the, the, the holiday and had been there to hear Peter's sermon. And he was one of either the 10,000 on the first day of the church or the 6,000 that came somewhere after that who heard Peter's words, was struck to his heart, and became a follower of Jesus. And when Stephen became a follower of Jesus, he was all in. This is what we read about him in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, 
man full of God's grace and power performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day some men started to debate with him, but none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. It turns out Stephen was an amazing preacher, and his career was incredibly short, and yet in Acts chapter 7, you will read one of the most brilliant sermons that has ever been preached, especially considering his audience and the purpose of his message. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, it was that message and something that came right after that that got him killed. But Stephen, he gets in this debate with some Jewish people who are trying to, you know, to get rid of this whole Jesus cult. And they can't stand up to every, he refutes everything they say. They can't refute anything he says. So finally, they just get frustrated. They just arrest him. They haul him in front of the same court that we talked about last week that the apostles were hauled before and tried to intimidate the apostles. It didn't work. So they're thinking now, maybe if we try to intimidate just a, an ordinary Christian, one of these, one of the followers, right? Maybe if we do that, maybe that'll start kind of putting this thing out. And so they pull him in front of the Sanhedrin. They accuse him of things that really he kind of was guilty of. You know, not like they were worthy of death, but basically what they said was, you have said that the temple and the law are obsolete. And what's, what Stephen says is, yeah, they are. That, that's this guy Jesus, right? God sent his son. He made the temple obsolete because now God comes to us. He will live within us. We don't have to go to a place to worship God. He comes to us. And the, the law, the law is great. Stephen says, I'm not saying anything bad against the law. But he says, but you guys couldn't even, even you guys couldn't follow the law. He says, and your forefathers couldn't follow the law. I couldn't follow the law. There was one guy that could, and you killed him. He says, but God didn't leave him dead. He raised him from death. And he is ascended to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God. And the people, the, the, the Sanhedrin, the court there, the kangaroo court that was trying him, are losing their minds. They are this close to killing him. And when, when Stephen says he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, all of a sudden Jesus opens up, gives Stephen this vision of what's happening in the heavenly court at that very moment. And he looks up and he says, look, I don't know if he thought that maybe if they looked up, they would see the same thing and they would be persuaded too. But he says, look, I see heaven opened and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And if they were like on the edge of killing him when he told them that they had killed the righteous one, when he says, I see into heaven's throne room, because they felt like they were the ones who who allowed entrance to God, right? You had, the, the Sanhedrin was made up of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the priests, and they felt like you have to, to, in order to get to God, you have to come to the temple. We control the temple. So when you start saying the temple is obsolete, you don't just rock the foundation of what our lives are about. You rock the base of our power. The Pharisees said, no, the law is how you get to God. The temple has been corrupted by these Sadducees. We're the ones that, that, that control access to God because we are the proper interpreters of the law. And so when, when Stephen says Jesus has 
fulfilled the law and now you get to God through him, their power base is being shook. Thomas, or Stephen says, both of your guys' jobs are obsolete and you killed the guy that made them obsolete. If they're right on the edge of killing him at that point when he says, I see him, that's it. They grab him, they drag him out to the outskirts of town, they pick up massive rocks to stone him to death and Stephen says something that if you're familiar with the story of Jesus' death, is going to kind of ring kind of familiar. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, I commit my spirit to you. And then as they start to stone him to death, he says, Father, do not hold this sin against them. And with that, he dies. And I don't know about you, but I look at that story. I mean, I've, I've heard this story since I was a kid growing up. And I look at that story and I say, what gave him the power and the courage to die the way that Jesus died? And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. And what I think, the conclusion I think I've come to is he was able to die the way that Jesus died because he had committed his life to living the way that Jesus lived. And those two things kind of go together. The power flows into the life of the one who is dedicated to following God's son. Right? We, we talk about that here a lot, that God shares his power, his blessings, his knowledge, his wisdom, his very presence. He shares those things with people who are dedicated to developing the character of his son. And Stephen, as short as his career, as a follower of Jesus is, if you want to call it a career, as short as that time must have been, because he had dedicated himself to becoming like Jesus, it opened his life up to the flow of the power from the Spirit of God. Like, I'm sure he was blown away at, at, at what it did in his life. So the question then for me is, okay, so what does it take to live a life like Jesus, to become like him, to, to live my life the way that he lived his life so that when the toughest days of my life come, I have the power that I need to, to deal with whatever comes my way. Now, in the fall, after we get done with this 52-week series of going through the Bible, we're going to do a 11, I think 11-week series based on the concept of the fruit of the Spirit. From Galatians chapter 5, Paul says the fruit of the Spirit there, he says, is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Nine things. He says, against these things there is no law. And what he's telling us when he gives us those nine things is not just a group of, of virtues that would be a good thing for you to work on. They are a pretty exhaustive catalog of the character of Jesus. And so we're going to look at what does it mean week by week? What does it mean to, to, to love like Jesus loved, to, to be a person of peace like Jesus was a person of peace, the Prince of Peace? You know, we're going to go through all of that. We don't have time to even scratch the surface of that today. You know, nine-point lesson, it's like, yeah, get, buckle up. We're going to be here for a while, you know? So what I want to do is I want to look at something else that Jesus, uh, well, that, that, that sort, of, sort of illustrates how Jesus lived his life. And they were three signs. It's as though he walked through this life as though these signs were just sort of hanging around his neck. And if you're sitting here thinking, I've heard this lesson before. 
It's because I try to do this one at least once a year. These are the three signs. I mean, heck, you know, if you're already, if you're one of those people that is like gambling on filling in the blanks and saying, I bet I know what this one is. No, you know, it's like, I, I know that happens because I'll fill in the blank on number one. I'll hear some people go, yes. And I'll hear other people go, oh, like that. You know, they guessed wrong, right? Um, you're, you're in luck today because all the blanks are filled into you with our banner right here. Um, because these are the three signs that Jesus lived his life by. They are the three signs that because he lived his life that way, it drew people to him like moths to a flame. And th these three signs changed the world because they changed individuals' lives. And so what are these three signs? Well, the first one is everybody's welcome, right? Everybody's welcome. And this is the way Jesus lived his life. There, there was no place... That, you go through the Gospels and you look for a place where somebody comes to Jesus sincerely, honestly asking for his help, and Jesus turns them away, you won't find it. That I would gamble with you on. Um, Jesus never turns anyone away. And that really gets on the nerves of the religious elite because they have spent a lot of time and energy trying to say these people are unacceptable. And Jesus comes along with this sign that says, no, everybody's welcome. Now, there are three places in the New Testament where the Bible says, Jesus did this for you. Now you need to do this for everybody else. And each one of those things goes along with one of these signs. The Romans 15 verse 7 is the one that goes along with everybody's welcome. It says, so accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Then God will be glorified. There is something about acceptance that changes human hearts and changes the world. It was irresistible. Jesus, it's like, what, what? I mean, people that didn't agree with his view of the world, right? With, with how he thought life should be lived, they were drawn to him. And then they were changed by him because he didn't, he didn't say, well, you can't come to me until you've gotten yourself all cleaned up and, and presentable and you start doing things. No, Jesus accepted people right where they were. Because it turns out, everybody needs acceptance. Now, the question that comes to our minds is, what about influence, though? Right? Aren't I also called to, to influence people, to speak up for the truth, to, uh, to, to, to shine God's light? And, to, you know, and yeah, absolutely. But how do you do that and accept people right where they are? And if you've got an easy answer for that, then I'd love to hear it because I'm still trying to work that out in my own brain. It's like, it keeps me up at night sometimes. And it's like, well, one thing that I've learned over the last 18 years of trying to, to, to live this way in my own life and to, to sort of... Uh, be a part of a community that says, yeah, we want to be a community that has a sign out front. As a matter of fact, there is a sign out front that says everybody's welcome. What is that going to look like? What is that going to mean? And, and, and one thing that I've learned is if people come in and I say, no, you're wrong. You're wrong and you're, you're, you know, it's, you're just bad and I'm right and you're not right. and that, it, They turn around and they walk right out. I, I have no influence upon them. If I accept people right where they are, and I just try to introduce them to Jesus, which is sort of what this church does. Just come meet Jesus. That's all we want you to do. And then Jesus can talk to you about what, 
what, what's going on in your life, what, what, where you should go, then. See, if I tell you what to do, there might be some temporary behavioral modifications that take place for just a short period of time. But if you, can, if you decide to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm going to let him tell me what to do, that, that's when life-lasting, miraculous change takes place. Now, I don't know if you saw this on our website, uh, our Facebook page this week. I posted it earlier. I saw it uh, somewhere else. But it's, uh, it says this. It says, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. And that's, that's what Jesus, that's how he lives his life. Now, the question with, with us now today is, okay, so, so we accept people right where they are the way that Jesus did, but how long do we give them before they change and, and start, you know, straightening up and flying right, you know, doing things the way that I think that they should be doing them. And, and that's a great question. And uh, when you figure out the answer to that one, I hope you'll let me know. Because uh, every situation is different. Every person is different. Every relationship is different. And what, as far as I can see, anytime that I start thinking, what's my responsibility here? I always look to Jesus and say, okay, so how did he treat people? And I just see him over and over and over. Love, accept, forgive. Love, accept, forgive. Everybody's welcome. Now, how long do you... I don't know. And that's a great question. That's something that we'll be wrestling. If you take it seriously, you'll be wrestling with that for the rest of your life, right? Because no matter where you are on the continuum of spirituality, and in America, boy, there are extremes on both ends. Christianity has these extremes. No matter where you are in there, there's somebody that you think... That person's not acceptable to me, <laughs> right? And Jesus says to you, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Then God will be glorified. What is that going to look like? I'm still trying to figure that out. But the more that we work, that we wrestle with that question, the more God's glorified. The second sign is nobody's perfect, right? First sign is everybody's welcome. Second sign is Nobody's perfect. And I don't know about you, I am glad that is one of the signs. Because no matter where you are on the continuum of American Christianity, you've got problems, right? I mean, you do. That's just, I do, you do, all of us do. And if this wasn't one of the signs, none of us would be here. Not one. Which is why the second thing that the New Testament says, Jesus did this for you, now you do this for each other, right? The first one was accept. The second one is in Colossians 3, verse 13. Where the Bible says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Now, if that's not sobering enough for you, if that doesn't make you swallow hard and go, uh, what does that mean? Think about the Lord's Prayer. You ever recite the Lord's Prayer in a large group or a small group or whatever? And you get to that part where it says, Jesus has us pray, and Lord, forgive us of our sins just as we forgive those who, forgive, who, who sin against us. And basically what you're saying there is, Lord, I got a great idea. How about if you forgive me exactly the same way that I forgive the people that hurt me? And at that point, if you really think about what you're praying, you've got to be doing some thinking, right? And if that wasn't enough, Jesus makes sure to clarify it. When he's, as soon as he's done teaching them the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, verse 14, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Boom. 
right? It's like, uh-oh. Now, part of the problem with that, at least with our struggles with it, is we are working with a faulty definition of forgiveness, right? We usually, in America, work with the Hallmark Channel's version of forgiveness, which is somebody harms you horribly, they come back and say, I'm sorry, and you forgive them, and suddenly all the feelings of bitterness and resentment and you get, are just gone, and you're like, let's go have tea and scones together, and you create this beautiful relationship, and it's what movies are made of, right? And it is, and that is cool, but that's reconciliation, okay? And Jesus never says anything as, as, as sobering about reconciliation. He never says, reconcile with everybody who harms you, or I will not reconcile with you. He never says that. Forgive, he says. So what is forgiveness? It's just letting go. That's what it means. It was used in the first century of, uh, you know, in banking. If a banker forgave your note, they let go of what you owed them. They're like, all right, I, I let go of it. You don't owe me anything anymore. And that's what forgiveness is. It's not about restoring relationship, right? And it doesn't mean that all of your feelings of anger and bitterness and resentment are just magically gone. You will struggle with those. And depending on the person that you are struggling with them with, if, they, if you still have to be in relationship with them, this could go on for the rest of your life. What Jesus has a hard time working with is when we say the words, I will never forgive that person. That Jesus has a tough time working with. Now, if you say, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to forgive that person. Will you help me to forgive that person? That he will do miracles in your life with. So the first sign is everybody's welcome. Second sign is nobody's perfect. Third sign is anything's possible. Because when you treat people with unconditional acceptance and you forgive them when they, when they, when they go astray and, and then you do this third thing that Jesus is going to get to here in just a second, I'll read it to you. You can't write anybody off. Because Jesus does miracles in people's lives that you thought were way beyond anybody's ability to reach them, including yours, including mine. In John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, when he gets to that and says, I'm going to give you a new commandment, I'm sure that his disciples were like, great, can't wait for a new commandment. And then he says, love each other. And they were probably thinking, what? That's not new. As a matter of fact, anytime Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? He'd say, there's two, actually. Love God and love each other. Love each other as you love yourself, is what he would say. And so when he says, love each other, they think that's the same. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. How you love each other is how it's going to change. I don't want you to love people the way you would love yourself. Now we're going to take it to a whole nother level. Now you love people the way that Jesus would if he was there in your place. It's like, oh, what does that mean? And I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean just letting people do whatever they want or approving of things that you believe are wrong, right? Acceptance and approval are not the same thing. But love, accept, forgive, those things, when, when, when we treat people with that kind of provide that kind of a climate. It changes the world. And the only way we can do that is by coming to Jesus and realizing he's wearing those three signs when he comes to us as well. Know that I'm 
completely loved and accepted and forgiven. That he loves me right where I am. He couldn't love me anymore. He just loves me too much to let me stay this way, right? He wants me to become more like him. And that's the same with every human being that I will come in contact with. What is that going to look like in your life? I don't know. That's, that's, that's the struggle that you see, right? That, that's, if you're not staying up at night thinking about that and praying about that and asking Jesus to help you navigate that, then you're not taking it very seriously. Right? Church I grew up in, we were like, okay, we know who's in. You treat them good. We know who's out. You treat them bad. Right? That's just the way that it works. That's the way that you save the world. Right? It's like I never saw anybody saved that way. Love, accept, forgive. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. That changes people. And that's how God changes the world. Now, what does this have to do with Stephen? Just this. The thing that opened Stephen's life up to the power of God, to allow him to handle the toughest day that he would ever experience with a kind of grace and poise and courage that now here we are reading about 2,000 years later, just shaking our heads saying, how did he do that? The only thing that allowed that to happen was because he had dedicated him to living his life the way that Jesus lived his life. To the way that Jesus approached Stephen, that's the way that Stephen approached the world. And we spend a lot of time, like I said, thinking about, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What if, what if the person, and then fill in the blank, Let's watch this. And please don't listen to Joey, but do listen to Jesus. Because, you know, it's like I've, I spent a lot of my life saying, okay, well, what about that person? What if that person does this? And it's like, well, that, that's a move, right? <laughs> right? It's like it doesn't love, accept, forgive. Now, again, love doesn't mean giving them exactly what they ask for. It's loving the way that Jesus would have loved. The question you ask is, not what would this person want me to do for them. The question is, what would Jesus do for this person if he was standing here in my place? And man, that's a question that is going to take all of the creativity and intelligence that you possess and patience and peace. All those other fruits of the Spirit that we talked about when a few minutes ago, those are all going to come into play. We will get into them as we go into the fall. But here's what that kind of atmosphere does for a human being. If you know that in the only court that matters, right? Stephen's standing in court and they're all pointing at him saying, unworthy, wrong, bad, evil. He, that, that's what he's hearing. But it just ran like water off a duck's back because he looked to heaven and he saw that in the only court that mattered, the, the verdict was, loved, accepted, and forgiven. And it gave him, he could handle whatever, any, whatever anybody thought about him, it was pretty much a move point for Stephen, right? He was like, you think whatever you want about me. I see heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And that gave him the ability to handle whatever verdict the, the human court could bring to him. What they thought about him was absolutely moved. But what he thought about them was one of the most important things that Stephen would ever have to, to come to grips with. 
sanctity. And the same thing for us. The more you, you live in this atmosphere of the love, acceptance, and forgiveness of Jesus, the more whatever anybody says, it doesn't matter at all. And the more you'll realize, but how I treat the other people, even if they treat me badly, how I treat them, that matters. Not just for them, but for me. Because that's what makes you more like Jesus. And is it easy? No. Long ways from it. And you won't even know if you're doing, the right, doing it right most of the time. You'll be like, what if I blow it? Oh, you're going to blow it, right? You're going to mess up. But what happens then? Love, accept, accepted, forgiven. What if other people mess up? Love, accept, and forgive them the way that Jesus would. What's that going to look like? I don't know. But to the extent that you can live in that atmosphere and carry that atmosphere into the world, to that extent, Nobody else will have the ability to, to ruin your day, even if your day ends up like Stephen's did at death's door. And that's what the great rescue ultimately was all about. Here, here's the first time that we have a case study on the great rescue. We've been looking at what it looks like in life here on this earth. Now we're getting a picture of what it's going to look like on that last day that we spend here on this side of eternity. Next week, we will look at the first non-Jewish convert to Christianity. But for this week, I, I just spend some time thinking about those three signs, thanking God for those three signs for yourself and asking him, how am I going to carry those three signs into the world and what's that going to look like for me? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful <laughs> that Jesus lived his life as though he had those three signs around his neck everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. And we don't even know what all of that would end up working out and looking like in our own lives. We love it that that's how he comes to us. We're not so sure about going out into the world and dealing with the people that we're going to have to deal with and taking those signs with us. But Lord, show us what that's going to look like in our lives. Give us the ability to commit ourselves to a life of love and acceptance and forgiveness, knowing that that's what you gave to us, and now that's what you ask for from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ed. Remember, uh, get your guys' pictures to Ed by Friday night, and next week, uh, Father's Day, barbecue potluck. Let's go ahead and stand and close with the final chorus. We will remember, we will remember, we will remember.